You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody, to a live Marketing News Canada podcast, Canada's number one podcast in all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I am your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcast host, dad, and settler. I'm recording my half of this podcast from my home, which is on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Coquitlam First Nation. We thank the Coquitlam, who continue to live on these lands and care for them, along with the waters and all that is above and below. And in honor of the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, today... We have a very special guest and someone who I have a privilege to call my friend, Chief Willie Sellers of the Williams Lake First Nation. Willie Sellers was born and raised in Williams Lake, BC, and is a member of the Williams Lake First Nation of the Sequepam Nation. You can correct me there, Willie. Nailed it. And elected onto the WLFN Council at the age of 24 in 2008. Willie was one of the youngest elected counselors in WLF history. After serving 10 years on council, he was elected as the chief of the Williams Lake First Nation in 2018 and is currently in his first term. In his previous work experience, Willie worked as a wildland firefighter for the Ministry of Forest, Lands, and Natural Resource Operations before returning to his community to assume the position of special project coordinator in the WLFN Economic Development Department. During this time, he was responsible for new business initiatives flowing from impact benefit agreements, engagement with proponents in the traditional territory, and community consultation for major WLFN projects. Willie is also a published author of Dip Netting with Dad, which won a Moonbeam Children's Book Award and was shortlisted for the Chocolate Lily, Shining Willow, and Ontario Library Association Awards. His second book, Hockey with Dad, I have my copy right here, just came out. We'll be talking about that a bit more. Willie enjoys his family time with his three kids, playing hockey with the Williams Lake Stampeders, attending community events, dip netting, and playing fastball. So, Willie, thank you for being here and welcome. What an intro. Hey, Ted Lau, it's interesting. One of my favorite TV shows right now, my TV series, when I do have time to watch, is Ted Lasso. And here I am having a conversation with Ted Lau. Ted Lau, yeah, but I got no mustache. I'm not as charismatic. <laughs> and uh, well, I suck at both football and soccer. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's all about getting out on that pitch and having a fun time. That's what activities are about. So what's been going on? Last time we chatted, there was quite a bit of activity. There was, you had a documentary, I think, when you and I had our pre-call that was coming up and your new book that's mm-hmm. coming out. There's also all the activities surrounding today, Orange Shirt Day and Yeah, where do you want to start? Yeah, the first day, the first time in the history of Canada for truth and reconciliation, honoring and hold up, holding up those ancestors, those loved ones, those lost ones, those those uh, survivors, those qualm, as we would say, those victors in in Sequoia language. We had an event here today, so really special day. I mean, a powerful day to see the country stand up and acknowledge, you know, the legacy of residential schools, wearing our orange shirts in honor of Phyllis Webstad and her story. Every child matters. 
I can't believe it. You know, we wanted to have an event, COVID protocol, of course, handcuffed us a bit. So we, we advertised that we we're going to have a drive through located six kilometers from our IR number one sugarcane reserve here in Williams Lake. There's St. Joseph's Mission. So that's where my dad went. That's where my grandma went. That's where, you know, a lot of people from the traditional territory all went to residential school. Multiple nations impacted Chilcotin, Southern Decaf, New Hulk, Statlium, Sequepum, of course. And, you know, a lot of history there, a lot of emotion, a lot of trauma. We we're driving over there. I was driving over there with my kids this morning, getting ready. We we're having a procession that was going to go from St. Joseph's to our Powell Arbor. And we we're going to have a drumming, the Sequepum cook beat. Roseanne Casimir has asked for a national drumming event to happen at 2.15 Pacific. So what we did was we had planned to have a small convoy come, you know, a walk home, a spirit ride home, which we've had annually in hundreds of cars, hundreds. Couldn't believe it. I mean, it was unbelievable. Hundreds of cars in one big long line. We had the RCMP stop Highway 97, which is the major intersection coming through Williams Lake here. And we get up to the Arbor, hundreds of cars behind me. There's probably a hundred cars at the Arbor. I don't know. I mean, maybe not that much. If, if Auntie Bonnie or, or my, my sister Bonnie Henry is listening, we were safe and we were following proper protocol and procedures for our event today to honor Orange Shirt Day. But yeah, it was awesome. There was, you know, probably over a hundred drummers, I'd say, at our Powell Arbor, people singing loud people holding up our ancestors in a way to to honor them on this special day and what a moment what a powerful day what a powerful afternoon i did my last speech and i honestly jumped in my car and came straight here because i had a really cool <laughs> podcast with a good friend of mine ted lao so thankful to be here to have that chat and wear my orange shirt with pride well we're honored to have you here so maybe let's go back a little bit back in time you know the origin because as the bio read, you're one of the youngest chiefs, you know, and definitely one of the youngest that were elected to council. So how did that come to fruition, right? Was it something just you grew up and you're like, I'm going to be chief one day or, or how did this all transpire? Well, you know, at, at a young age, politics was always a topic of discussion in my household. Politics are a way that you can make a difference in your community on a bigger, broader level. And of course, you have the legacy and the trauma and being overseen and watched over by federal government by ISC, Indigenous Services Canada, which are known as now. And uh, it was was all about, you know, how do we be a self-sustaining First Nation? We need to train our youth. We need to, you know, lead by example. And we need a good staff to to continue to help us. And at a young age, it was very apparent to my household. There's still a lot of trauma in the band office. There was a lot of hurt in our community. And there was, you know, animosity what do they call it? Indian crab syndrome, not only in my community, but all over Indian country. And it really piqued my interest to be like, okay, if I want to be a change in my community, I have to be on council. Okay. Well, well, I learned that really young, just by hearing the conversations that were happening with my mom and my dad at the dinner table, at the breakfast table on our day today. And it intrigued me to a point where one day I wanted to be the chief. I said, if I'm going to make a difference for my community, you know, the biggest difference that I'm going to be able to make biggest opportunity that I'm going to have to change the trajectory of my community is, is, you know, by being a leader. And I've been really blessed, you know, over the years, whether it's um, timely openings or, you know, people stepping in at an important part of my journey and, and mentoring me, you know, from my mom, my late stepdad and my dad, family from both sides, my non-Indigenous and Indigenous side to, 
coworkers like Kirk Dressler and, and Aaron Higginbottom and Aaron Manella and other leaders, you know, other cookbeats in the territory, other chiefs in, in the province. And, and of course, you know, one of my biggest and best mentors that I've ever had was former Chief Anne Louie, who, you know, when she stepped down and decided not to run in 2018, she endorsed me to be the next chief. And I'll be forever grateful. Leading up to that and becoming the chief and one of the younger chiefs in the country has been some really cool experience because we're doing some pretty awesome things right now. I mean, I think we have a very strong council and every council that I've been on has been strong, but we've always had good leadership here and we continue to build this machine, which is known as WLFN, improve so that we can provide better services to our membership, better opportunities and, and contribute in a bigger, broader level to that, that healing journey of, of our people here, which, you know, it is by extension, the Caribou Coden, which by, is by extension, the province of British Columbia, which is by extension, the country of Canada. Powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, pretty humbled to, to be here today. Pretty humbled to be in the position to be a part of doing some of the things that we're doing. We had that event for 215. It's the most packed I've ever seen our power arbor. Unbelievable. Our MLA steps up. We do four powerful drum songs singing loud, you know, and opening up that portal to our ancestors and really hopefully making them proud and honoring them in a way that's going to be, you know, something to remember for forever and ever. Kids are running all over the place, you know, orange shirts everywhere. Our MLA takes the mic and he says, let's give a standing ovation to Chief Willie Sellers for putting this together. You know, it like got me emotional and teared me up. But I was quick to acknowledge that, you know, I'm one vote at that table. Our chief and council here is pretty kick button. Um, <laughs> they're, they're very progressive and, and they're very supportive on the vision. We have this collective vision that continues to come to reality. Kind of, you know, show the community and show the region that we're kicking ass and taking names. That's right. So then it sounds like family was definitely a big part of your upbringing and now you have kids of your own. Mm-hmm. So how do you pass that along? You know, you're a powerful young leader. And how do you also communicate to the older generation some of the new vision and thoughts that you have for the community at large? Yeah, I mean, we have to find the balance. Like historically, you know, the legacy of residential schools, the motto was to strip the Indian from the child, you know, take away their language, take away their culture, their ceremony, their traditions. You know, it's, it's on us right now to to bring that back and hold up what they held on to for all of those years. You know, for us to just, just, I mean, just think about it even now. Like For us to continue to be able to speak our language and sing our songs and, and participate in ceremony when our ancestors were beaten down and, 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 and abused and, and suffered so much trauma, for them to hold on to it still and, and, and still to be here in our generations now, I mean... It's on us. Like it's on me. Like I have to be able to commit to learning my language and commit to performing those ceremonies and commit to holding that drum and being able to sing those songs so that I could pass it down to my kids. You know, at a young age, I was able to, and I was blessed to participate in ceremonies with my late uncle Al Alphonse. He taught me all my songs and he taught me how to sweat. And there's other mentors on the cultural side that really stepped up. Freddie Johnson and, and Dave Archie. And they held me up in a way that gave me the opportunity to learn that. Now it's up to me to continue to pass that down. My mom is a non-Indigenous person. She's the most powerful woman I know, the strongest woman I know to raise us three kids in the way that she did with my late stepdad, of course. But 
she she didn't have a great handle on the on the language and the ceremony and the culture and the traditions because you know she was a non-indigenous person so now as i grow up you know she raised me with good values and a good work ethic and and, and taught me how to care for my kids and, and and be a good person but there's that gap in in order to be healthy as a first nations person course this is my take i mean you need to be able to find that balance and part of that balance is holding up your language your culture and your traditions and your ceremonies but i mean there's other parts to that balance that we need to consider as a people mental health and wellness for example i mean how do i let loose every single week and brush away that anger that stress that grief that trauma so to speak i play hockey a lot it gives me that release. I burn that sage. I, I, I sing on my, with my drum. And all of those things contribute to me being a healthy person, being a good dad, and, and giving me the opportunity to teach my kids properly on how to be the same. You got to lead by example. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, you and I had met, actually, for those of the audience that don't know, you and I met on the Business Council of BC, the the panel. They had, uh, was it the, the business, I don't know, some business event. On stage, you and I meet with young leaders talking about what's it like to be a young leader and, and what the future of the economy. And, mm-hmm. and then you and I subsequently have talked about economic reconciliation. And so I kind of want to get a sense of on, on your end. Yeah, absolutely. Culture is something that we all have to preserve. And what, what do you see from an economic reconciliation standpoint that we need yeah. to do as a nation? Well, I mean, you know, this is kind of one of them, right? Like you're one, you're passing down culture. Uh, and to your, your, there's an economic reconciliation component to it as well. But, you know, you, you speak on behalf of a powerful nation that's, you know, a part of a, a larger nation as well. But what do you see? Like, where can the Indigenous community um, participate in the economic reconciliation piece? And what can I don't know, settlers and, and non-Indigenous folks, how can we help? Yeah, I mean, we acknowledge the territory that we reside in. That's what we're doing today, right now, right here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, before we started, you acknowledge the territory. You know, Chief Willie Sellers with the Williams Lake First Nation. Welcome to the territory. I mean, that's such a great start, but we're welcoming all of these visitors to the traditional territory and we're not holding up and giving them a proper share of the resources that are coming out of the territory. I mean, people think that First Nations get everything for free. I've heard that stereotype many times throughout my entire life. We don't pay taxes. There is the majority of the First Nations people in this country pay taxes. Let's get that clear first and foremost. But, you know, the government doesn't give us enough money to properly provide services to our people. It's as easy as that. We cannot fund 100% of our post-secondary applicants. We cannot have proper mental health and wellness supports in our community. We don't have sufficient funding in a lot of communities. We don't have sufficient clean drinking water and proper, you know, sewage treatment facilities, proper infrastructure. And, and that's crazy to think about because we live in such a, oh, a modern, wicked, awesome country. And I'm a proud Canadian, proud First Nation person. But moving forward, when we talk about you know reconciliation, we need to also hold up, as you said, economic reconciliation. I was sitting down with our elders group the other day, Tuesday, I think it was. And a big part of the discussion, and, and it's really interesting, actually, because our elders, I mean, they don't hold it back. I say, you want to kick me around? You want to give me a hard time? You want to teach me and, and, and learn me? Me fly at her, bring it on, you know? And I, I, I take great pride in 
listening to the elders' words and holding them up in in this community and in our region because, I mean, they're our knowledge keepers and they're an important part of our balance as a community. And they're giving me a hard time all over the place about all these different things. And, and, and you know, one of my messages to them and, and something that we need to continue to think about, as I had mentioned earlier, is we don't get enough money. We need to sign these agreements with proponents in the traditional territory, create these revenue streams, start these businesses that are going to bring revenue, flow them back into the community. And not only talking about revenue streams and talking about ways to bring money in, but we also need to be able to provide opportunities so that our membership can work. Now, how did we provide for our family hundreds of years ago? We went out and we shot deer, we shot moose, we shot elk, we, sh- we caught fish, we pick berries. It's where we got all of our medicine from, the traditional territory, the land. Now, how do we provide for our families? We provide for them by having a good paying job and going out on the land in the same way to harvest, you know, animals, four-legged, harvest berries. But I mean, there's also a big part of it that we harvest at the grocery store, you know, at the same time <laughs> of the world, so pizza, at the farmer's market at, in, our, in, in our region here, we have Margaret's Meats. I'll give them a shout out because they got the best meat in town and, and all that stuff costs money. We mm-hmm. want to have nice things for our family. We want to be able to bring them on trips and bring them to the movies and go bowling and put food on the table and and clothes on their back. And we do that by going to work every single day and having a good paying job. You know, we negotiated with these proponents in the territory and and give opportunity for our community all over the board. I mean, it's really crazy, whether it's Gordon sewer septic hydrovac and and having that opportunity or Lake X and getting into, you know, civil construction, heavy duty mechanics and, and, you know, mine jobs at Gibraltar and Mount Pauly. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that we have going on so that people can provide for their families. And that's a big part of it. You start talking about how do we provide better services to our community? It's by creating those revenue streams we talked about earlier and paying for it ourselves. You know, we fund 100% of our post-secondary applicants. Wow. That, was, that was over six figures last year of own source revenue. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. It's not like we're throwing this money around and all over. It's going to a good cause that we're that we're bringing in, whether it's our cannabis revenue or whether it's our logging revenue or whether it's you know archaeology or impact benefit agreements with the local mines. It's going to a good cause and it's going to services that are bettering and, and, and healing our community in a way that you know, some people I mean, maybe they don't agree with. I'm not sure. Orange Shirt Day hopefully sheds light on some of these things so that people start understanding why our communities are the way they are. Uh, I look at the services that we provide to our community in the form of like our elders group and our daycare and our school and our recreation department, our power arbor, our baseball diamond. I mean, all of these things contribute and we continue to, you know, be better. That's what we're saying. And that was part of my speech over there at Orange Shirt Day is we're doing a good job right now. You know, an individual like Phyllis Webstad has is, is really you know, held on and shouldered this movement in Indian country and now, of course, the country. But, you know, now everybody is aware. Everybody is educating themselves. It's a different world and the litigation landscape has changed in this country over the last 10 years so that First Nations people are getting a foothold and starting to persevere and starting to celebrate those success stories that we're seeing. But there's still room for improvement. And we have to continue to trend up. And that's something that I had mentioned earlier today in my speech is keep up the good work, but let's be better. 
Let's continue to lock arms and stand together as Indigenous and non-Indigenous people and contribute to the healing journey that we're all on right now. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now you're so flippin' busy, yet you decided, I'm going to write some books. So, <laughs> right? You you wrote that first one, Dip Netting with Dad, right? And then now yep. the follow-up is Hockey with Dad. How did you come up with the idea and, and have the time to do it? Oh, you know, uh, I was talking earlier about being blessed. I'm always, I've always been blessed with good timing. You know, I have three beautiful kids, Cash, Myla, and Lewis, and trying to find like good First Nation content to read to them when they were younger. And it was a challenge, not only good First Nation content to read to them, but good First Nation local content that showcases the territory here and what we do and how we do it and who we are. I couldn't find it. So I remember I was joking around and I was saying, well, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to write one. And I remember I got a, you know, a laugh or two. They're like, yeah, right. Well, it's like, I'm going to do it. So I, I did it. I wrote the story. One of my best friends, Kevin Easthope is the illustrator. Of, Kevin, yeah. That's the guy, uh, Kevin right. Easthope, non-indigenous yeah, yeah. ally. I call him an ally. He's a really good friend. One of my best friends. And I had approached him because he's such a talented artist. And I said, Hey, is this something that you'd be interested in? And he said, yeah, let's do it. And you know, like I'm a, a writer and award-winning writer, but I mean, you look at the illustrations in these books and quite nice. And, I mean, they are unbelievable. I mean, this guy is some super talent and he just kind of fell into my path and, and became friends. And, and now we're, we're on this, this path of becoming a Canadian best-selling author, illustrator. I mean, it was really something. We were published by Caitlin Press, which was cool. I mean, that was the first publisher we went to. They signed us to a book deal or offered us a book deal on, book deal on the spot. Wow. Vicky Johnson. 
yeah, it was kind of cool. We're their first children's book, one of their best-selling books of all time, which is uh, I dipped in with dad. And um, I remember I like, we got our book contract and a funny story, me and Kev and we're going through it and we don't really know the first thing. I'm like just starting out neck dev and negotiating and reading through uh, agreements isn't something that I'm well-versed in. So I bring it to our legal counsel and community here. Also a really good friend and mentor of mine, Kirk Dressler. He was just our economic development officer, but he's he's a lawyer by trade. And I always joke, he's good to have on board because of his legal background for a number of different reasons. But I was like, hey, could you review this agreement for me and let me know any like suggestions you have? And he's just like, oh yeah, sure, for sure. So he gives, I give him the agreement. He gives me a bunch of you know things to rebuttal and, and go back with the publisher. And every single suggestion that he made, they're just like, no. No, (laughs) they kind of had us though, you know, I mean, we didn't know. I mean, we were young, younger and we were thinking, okay, well, well, let's just sign the thing and get a book done. So we did. And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. Our first book was a Canadian bestseller award winner. And our second book is doing really well. It's only been out three weeks and we've already surpassed the amount of books that we had printed from the first book. So hockey, more mainstream. I know two things uh, best, which is dip netting and hockey. So it'd be interesting to see what the next one is that comes out. I, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, it, it could be hunting, which would be really cool. How do you portray a children's book of hunting to, you know, f- five to nine-year-olds though? That gets to be the challenge and the concern for the publisher. Rodeo, potentially another title. I mean, I've already gotten these ones started and I'm looking forward to passing them on to the publisher to, to review. Or maybe it's uh, something, you know, neat and, and that I don't know much of, but will soon, you know, in the upcoming... What about season. drumming or something? You've talked yeah. about drumming a lot, right? Yeah, powwow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, it could be the next one. Working on my regalia right now to make my grass dancing debut come powwow season 2022. So, Ooh. I mean, that'll help me. That keeps you busy. That one. Yeah. Well, then with, with regards to dip netting, you said that there's a film team that came up to film and what was the documentary about? Yeah. So we have, you know, with the 215 that were discovered at KIB, we've seen this movement, this reawakening of, of First Nations people across this country. And, you know, part of that is investigations, you know, popping up at all of these different residential schools across the country. There's 130 of them in total. I mean, we have this residential school located six kilometers from the community core from IR1 Sugarcane Reserve. And, you know, like I said earlier, that's where everybody from the region went. So because it's in our caretaker area, our traditional territory, we took the lead on the, the technical works that need to begun, need to begin the ground penetrating radar work, the archival research and going through the TUS studies and identifying areas of interest that we need to start testing first. So as we're going down this path of trying to get that work done, we were approached by film crew out of LA. Yeah, they wanted to do a documentary on our response to St. Joseph's mission, finding potential, you know, the potential of finding unmarked graves. And they've been up all summer, you know, whether it's following me around at a rodeo, whether it's, you know, taping us at the hockey rink with my kids or at home playing board games and, and hanging out as a family, or, you know, down at the river, dip netting. And, you know, we haven't been able to dip net since 2018, some of us 2017, because of the wildfires and then the big bar slide that happened. And this year we were blessed with an opening at Farewell Canyon. It's equipped territory, uh, 
we were blessed with one of the biggest runs that I've known to date in the region. You know, everybody got fish. We were down there fishing for weeks and I couldn't believe it. So they came up, I said, Hey, we want to get some dip knitting footage. I said, okay, we go down and you know, the first day we ripped out 130 sockeye. The second day we ripped out 300 sockeye. And I mean, they got it all on camera, every dip almost. I mean, just sheer joy you know, happiness, laughter, you know, you go to my house right now, I got vacuum sealed fillets. I got vacuum sealed dried. I have vacuum sealed candied. I have can got every single different kind of sockeye you could think of. And I haven't been able to have that for years because we haven't been able to fish the river due to those reasons that I talked about earlier. So yeah, I mean, that should be a pretty powerful scene. I was down there with my dad and with my family and you know, that's all healing right there, getting down to the river, getting out on the land, bracing the, the territory by by holding up those ancestors through our culture. Unbelievable. It was awesome. It was a good summer. That sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Now you're you're definitely rebuilding or building upon the foundation that that's been there. What about you know communicating to the the broader community? You know, again, you and I met at a business function a few years ago. And we've kind of built a relationship over time. Any advice to other Indigenous community leaders or other business leaders, other leaders in general? Like, how do you increase that communication? Yeah, every community is different. And I learned that right away. And I was quick to you know mention that to our elders the other day that every single one of our communities is different. And some of them are further along than others. You know, there's infighting in some and there's disputes in, in others that, you know, hold communities back so that they can move forward. Like, I mean, with us, we're a different beast. We have a very progressive and supportive council. We have an amazing staff and supporting group that really does the walking for us. I mean, we continue to talk as a council and our staff continues to make it happen. I mean, that started back in the day with a former leadership, whether it was Anne Louie, whether it was Rick Gilbert, whether it was Nancy Sandy, whether it was Willie Alphonse Jr. I mean, you could really go down the list of strong leaders that we've had over the years at WLFN that continued to contribute to the overall vision and continue to improve the services and build the capacity where I hate to say it, it's probably so much easier for me now because we have so many things going on and so much staff that continue to help make that vision a reality. I look at, you know, our machine right now, it's over 90 staff, 90 staff. And can you believe it? Talking to to former leaders. It's like, I remember when I was, you know, former chief saying, remember when I was the chief and the bad administrator and, uh, you know, the counselor, the social worker. And it's just like, wow, you know, we have a whole senior manager fleet that helps us provide those services to our community across the board. And that's something else. I tell you, I mean, it definitely makes it a lot easier on us. Leadership takes a lot of that pressure and that stress off to know that, you know, when we start talking about these things that we want to see, they're going to get done, get done in a timely manner. What's next? You know, it sounds like you have a lot of plans. You got great support, but you know, what's next? Yeah. I mean, look at the things that we're doing right now. We just finished building this 18,000 square foot ban administration building to house the majority of our staff. We settled out this spec claim with the country, with Canada that went, our, our specific claim over the city of Williams Lake went right to the Supreme Court of Canada. We're about to be compensated for that. There's some really awesome community engagement that's going to happen over the next three, four or five months. It'll give us an opportunity to take care of our 
community for future generations, but it's also going to give us the opportunity to do some neat capital projects potentially. Yeah. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Uh, I don't know. I would love to see a rec center, maybe a new outdoor ring community center, maybe a new school. We need to improve some of the infrastructure and community like our sewer treatment facility, upgrade our water treatment facility. So we continue to have clean drinking water, continue to build homes, continue Mm. to improve on the services that we provide to our membership. And those things are all going to be reality with that spec claim. I mean, of course, the community is going to guide us through that. They're going to guide us through what they want. I mean, I could tell them the vision, but I mean, they're the ones that are going to have to embrace it and vote on it and participate in making that vision a reality. So, you know, what's next? I'm not even sure. Continue to grow ourselves in the cannabis industry, continue to build homes and continue to do capital projects that allow us to improve on those services. Yeah. So I was talking to some other folks at, at some business functions where, from other nations, like you said, a lot of na- nations are at different stages of progress. And I asked one of them, you know, what, what's the biggest challenge for you guys? You know, like small business is kind of the backbone of our, our economy in Canada. And I thought, well, you know, like what, what would be the, the biggest issue? And one of them responded with, you know, internet access. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently a lot of, a lot of indigenous communities, that, that's actually like infrastructure, basic infrastructure is a big issue. So could you shed some light on that? I, I know you guys, obviously we're doing this live right now over the internet. So you guys don't have that challenge yet. So many do. Fiber optics. Wow. Eh? One of the first things that we did and we got elected as councils, we pushed the provincial government and we worked with TELUS and the Aboriginal liaison advocate there, Marissa Nobauer, to get high-speed internet in community. Never had it before. I'll never forget the moment that I had fiber optics strung to my house. It was like the first time that I drank water out of the tap. Mm. You know, I grew up on a bowl of water advisory. We couldn't drink water from the tap, you know, until I was in my probably mid twenties, late twenties. I never could drink it out of the tap or I'd get sick. And can you imagine? That's like, it's not even long ago. People take this stuff for granted, including high speed internet. You know, it's something that is accessible and there for everyone. Well, First Nation communities, it's not. It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to string fiber optics into our community. I mean, that took lobbying and that took a lot of work on our, with our technical staff, but also a lot of work through those entities and organizations that continued to support us to, to make sure it was there and make sure it was a reality. I couldn't function without high-speed internet. I mean. We couldn't operate as a, as a government, as an organization without high-speed internet. How crazy is that? So as we continue to advocate and push and, and, and lobby for communities to get these necessities of life, like internet, high-speed, and like water, you know, it, it's going to take a provincial and a federal government to step up and continue to provide funding for these communities to make that a reality, partner up with entities like TELUS or whoever to, to make sure that it, it does happen in these communities. But again, I mean, it comes back to capacity too and having the right people advocating and pushing forward at a staff level. Sounds like for you, you know, your journey has been supported by, you know, strong staff and, and previous chiefs and council. But in terms of advice, for those up and coming in different nations across Canada? What advice do you have for them? You know, communication is key. And you're, you're asking about like one of our challenges. I mean, in the COVID era, one of our challenges is honestly communication. 
making sure we get the messaging out to the membership. I mean, we have a monthly Boomega or newsletter that goes out, but that only started probably four to six months ago. And in a COVID era, you're usually having community meetings. You're usually bringing people in, having voice their opinion on some of the ideas that we have, vision that we're starting to implement and continuing to implement. But I mean, communicate, listen to your elders and, and make sure that they're engaged throughout. I mean, I'm not saying that our elders support every single one of the decisions that we make as a leadership group, but I mean, you have to continue to bring them in on the conversations. I mean, and explain it to them. No, they're saying like, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? How about the off reserve? And it's just like, I'm quick to say like, all these things cost money. Mm. We're not getting that funding from ISK. We're not getting that funding from the province. We need to create these revenue streams so that we can do that. And, and finding the balance amongst all of that and, and not burning ourselves out in the meantime is, is one of the biggest parts of it. We signed the first government to govern agreement with the province of British Columbia around retail cannabis. Huge feat massive feat you know put us on the map in the cannabis industry and really started us on this path of becoming a powerhouse and creating these revenue streams that help us do cool things in community and it all started with community engagement and making sure that we had the approval of of our elders and of our community to realize that vision 100 support of those community meetings for us to start down this path of cannabis and now when we talk about it and we we bring it up and and, and they're stoked you know we're like, well, what are we spending the money on? It's like, well, That's a good problem to have, man. Yeah, it's a really good problem to have, but we wouldn't have gotten there and we wouldn't have been able to continue down that path and stay in the positions that we have without the support of the community, which came through, of course, communication. So now moving forward and trying to find that balance, like I should be up here, you know, mm-hmm. how stoked I am about cannabis. And I was in an interview with CBC and they're saying, wow, you must be so excited. And it's just, what a feat that's, great accomplishment for for your community and your government. It's just like, yeah, no, totally. I'm super stoked. But I'm like just as stoked about that path, that walking path that we just built in community that's giving our community the opportunity to, you know, live a healthy life and and see how beautiful the valley is, how the lake is and what the community looks like from atop a, a peak in the territory. I mean, it's just a trail, but I mean it's a pretty awesome trail and I couldn't be more proud of accomplishing that just as much as I am of cannabis trying to find the balance and not get too high and not get too Mm. low through it at all is what we have to do as leaders, you know, find the balance for yourself, you know, make sure you, you you take care of yourself mentally and you don't get burnt out and you don't, you know, work those crazy hours that are going to give you a nervous breakdown. I work big hours, honestly, whether it's, in the office or whether it's after hours. And then on top of that, you have your family that you're balancing. You have your extracurricular activities. You have your time out onto the land and the territory. You have that time, you know, taking language lessons and singing those songs and participating in sweat. All of those things contribute. And if I don't have all of those things, you know, simultaneously working for me and my health, then I will get burnt out and I will be an unhealthy individual potentially. And that's something that, you know, I continue to say out there is, is find that balance as a leader and as an individual person, or else you're not going to be able to live a healthy life. I get up every single day and I am stoked. Happy to go to work, you know, and that's what I tell the kids is equally as important as finding the balance. I mean, you also need to enjoy what you do every day. Mm-hmm. 
yep. can't enjoy it, then why do it? Absolutely. Okay. On that note, I'm gonna I'm gonna move to our rapid fire. So rapid fire round is just basically a bunch of random questions that we ask to get to know our guests. And so you ready? Ready. What's your favorite song that you're streaming at the moment? Work Away. I think it's classified. And we know your favorite show is Ted Lasso, right? Ted Lasso, but quick second or probably taking the lead, Reservation Dogs. I haven't watched that yet. That's on um, Craver? It's on Disney Plus. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's so great. It's like that First Nation humor that really we love and uh, and laugh about in every single one of our communities. It's awesome. It's a great show. If you could meet somebody from the past, real or fiction, who would it be and why? Oh, golly gee, that's a real tough one. I'd want to say a goalie, but you know, I'd love to meet like a strong First Nation leader. Ah, I'm not sure. In the past, you said, or present? Can be anybody, really. Yeah, um, I would just say like the Spit and Chicklets podcast. It's kind of my banner right now. My my pinnacle of my life is to get onto that podcast. You oh, know, really? It was Ted. It was Ted Lau's podcast. <laughs> You've and, accomplished that. Yeah, Marketing News Canada in the corner there. Thank you, Cooks Jam. Oh, very blessed to be here. But meeting those individuals and like having a chat with them and telling stories is also a big one for me. So I'll say them, give them a shout out, and see if they uh, they listen. All right. If you could be an animal for a day, what Eagle. animal? Eagle. Mm-hmm. A yeah. bird that flies very high is you know, one of the biggest in the sky, but also mm-hmm. eats and loves sockeye salmon, which is a big part of my day today. Yeah, I, we actually have a bunch of eagles by my house. And they oh, just, gorgeous. they're always hanging out and they fish in the, in the lake just uh, up the street from my house. Oh, gorgeous, great. gorgeous animals, yeah. Okay, favorite traditional food? Oh, I would say Indian tacos. I'm not what sure how traditional tacos? those are. It's like a bannock and some beef and some uh, salsa, some sour cream, some lettuce, some beans. I don't know how traditional that is. I mean, sockeye salmon, dried sockeye salmon is yeah, obviously yeah. my I number one. I figured you'd say salmon because you yeah. said salmon so much. I got kind of hungry. Indian tacos, yeah. probably not super traditional, but we get some bannock in there. Dried sockeye salmon, obviously the number one. It's like gold wherever you go. Another big one in our community right now, a new actually restaurant that came in about a year ago, the Tandoori Bistro. It's Indian food and the butter oh. chicken there is some of the best I've ever had in my life. Make it a part of my weekly diet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a budget item. <laughs> what about, uh, do you have a hobby? I know you're so busy. Yeah. I mean, I play a lot of hockey. A lot of my time is focused on that in my spare. I mean, I'll play golf. What are you, know? goalie? What are you? Goalie. Yeah, goalie. All right. Good. I'm a goalie, just like the great Carrie Price, who's also from the city of Williams Lake and one of my idols. I did not know he's from Williams Lake. He is, well, he's from Anaheim Lake, which is located three or four hours outside of Williams Lake, but he played oh. all of his minor hockey in Williams Lake. I mean, he's a local hero here. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, the guy was a special talent, and you've seen it right from a young age. He's younger than me, but he's one of my idols, and just turns out that he's one of the best goalies in the history of the game of hockey, too. Mm. Williams Lake, can you believe it? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, uh, superhero power, if you could have one. I was talking about this with the kids the other day, and I said um, super strength. Just lifting up whatever? Yeah, I mean, I was just like, well, you could have super speed, but then you could run into something, shatter your leg, or uh, kill yourself. <laughs> shatter your leg. Imagine <laughs> running into something at super speed? Come on. Well, have you watched The Boys? That's exactly what happened in the very first episode. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was kind of yeah, gruesome. Scary yeah. show. That's and scary then, show. I mean, if you had the ability to fly, I mean, I don't know. I think you suit super strength and then you'd just be able to take care of yourself uh, on a day to day and not have to worry about getting hurt ever. You a texting or talking guy? A little of both. I mean, I spend probably too much time on my phone as it is. So having those face to faces in today's day and age, especially Zoom, Blue Jeans, Teams, fatigue, uh, the, the virtual fatigue, the face to face is what's welcomed most nowadays. When you get it and you're able to do it, it's a treat. Where happen. are you going? Where are you going after after COVID restrictions lift, if they lift? Gosh, willing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my kids did 4-H last year, so they made a bunch of cash, and mm-hmm. they want to go on a. Um, they want to go, and they want to actually chip in for a big trip. They keep saying Mexico, so I think Mexico is on the menu. Whether it's in you know, January or sometime this winter is one thing. Tacos, tacos, right? Oh yeah, yeah, but like you know, where I would want to go, like as a person, um, I would want to go to Vegas right now. (laughs) Like you look at what do they have now? They have a NFL football team, big football fan. What's your team? More of a quarterback guy. So like, I really like Derek Carr right now. So Vegas makes Derek Carr fan. All right, cool. Well, I'm, I'm a Tom Brady fan. Um, Me too. Yeah, before him, it was Peyton Manning. That's the only jersey, football jersey that I actually have in my closet is Peyton. But, you know, a number of them grow on me as we move forward, like Kyler Murray, for example, in Arizona. Kyler Murray is the real deal, I think. My gosh, he, he's so fast, right? Like Lamar Jackson, like these guys are just a treat to watch. Nuts. They're, oh. they're, they're all nuts. And, and, and I was thinking like, uh, what was I um, thinking about? Oh, did you watch Peyton Manning and Eli on that ESPN, like Monday Night Football? And he's just like <laughs> side talks, bunch of garbage. It's hilarious. <laughs> Make fun of his forehead and stuff. It's about time they those guys come and get on TV because they are a good group. Peyton is pretty special, yeah. but yeah. So, so Vegas, so Vegas, you got there's hockey, there's there's football. They got, yeah, they got the Knights. You know, I used to Flurry's my favorite goalie aside from Carey Price, but he's not there anymore. So it's Leonard. I just heard him on the Spit and Chicks podcast, and Leonard was awesome. Great interview, really straight up. Um, they have a WNBA team there. So, I mean, if you could set the timing right, you could probably get all three potentially. Maybe we'll get Marketing News Canada to pay for it and then we'll right. go down there and do it live or something like that. Mic me up. I don't even care. I'll do it over Pretty <laughs> <laughs> <Very> good. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, um, you know, you're, you're really busy, Chief. And, and I really just want to thank you for the time you've been here. Any words of wisdom, advice, anything you want to share to our audience uh, before we, we call the show? Yeah, I mean, the one in in closing, I would just say today's the day, the first national holiday in acknowledgement of truth and reconciliation in Canada. I mean, I would task every single one of the listeners out there today to educate yourself on whose traditional territory you're currently residing, you know, learn and understand who that First Nation community is so that you can continue to hold them up in your prayers and hold them up on your day to day and, you know, be an ally and contribute to the healing journey of this country, which is Canada. That would be my last closing comment and, and advice to that group that's listening. You rock. You're the best. Thank you very much, Ted, for for having me on today. It's an honor. Yes, sir. Well, honor's all mine. And and I thank you very much for your time. It was, a, it was an honor and privilege. And uh, yeah, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Marketing News Canada. Until next time. Thanks, Chief. My week, Jin. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. 
For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.